Allow the Lord to pickle you this morning. And that, that's where we get the word baptism, baptismo. It's the transformation, a transfiguration process that takes place. That, like a, Or another way of looking at it is like from when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And the Lord cocoons you in his presence, in his spirit, and he takes, he takes us from a place of being a worm to being a beautiful butterfly. And we go through this metamorphosis, and, it's, and it just happens because we're with him. Not because of anything that we try on our own. I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying and trying to manifest. i got to manifest Jesus. Just follow the guy. You'll manifest along the way, and eventually Jesus will come out. But so, so often we get, we get so stuck on not manifesting Jesus, we end up not manifesting Jesus. We get so caught up in going, I can't do this, I can't do that, I have to cross my, my Q's and dot my P's, and we start getting the alphabet mixed up, and we, we get caught up in doing everything it is that we never intended to do in the first place. But if we just focus on him and behold him, our likeness begins to change by proximity. It begins to happen like through osmosis. You don't have to do anything. That religion wants you to say, religion wants you to go, I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to become like him. And if we can get you caught up in the busyness of trying to become like him, instead of becoming like him, you become everything not like him. Because he just rested in who he just rested and allowed the Father to speak from heaven to earth to create and form his identity. He didn't necessarily have he didn't he wasn't trying to become like anyone. He was just being who he was. Because that's who he was created to be. But religion has indoctrinated us and told us that we're not like him. Well, where did that lie start? Who told you that you were naked? Some of us, we've been so afraid of our nakedness, but we don't realize that, that we, and we've become insecure and in thinking that we're inadequate, that we're missing something, saying that we're not like him and that we're missing the attributes and the characteristics of God, that we're still living in that place of the fallen state because of the garden, because of that serpent that was there that said, if you could eat from this tree, you could become like him. And I want to tell you this morning, you are already like him. The people out there, we go, well, they're not in church this morning. They don't have a cross around their neck. They're getting ready to dress up. They're already like him. He reconciled the entire earth. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that one died for all so that all could be reconciled back to him. The world can be reconciled back to him. So everyone's already <laughs> reconciled. They're just in this process like the prodigal son, and he's just waiting for him to come home. He's longing for his kids to come home. Can we just, and so can we just take a moment and really just in awe of who he is? 
and allow that awe. When was the last time that you just sat back and not understanding? If we could lose our lack of understanding of God, we might need him. We got to get out of here. We're always about 18 inches away from an encounter. The difference between the head and the heart. So let the Spirit just rest on you this morning. We sang it. Let's do it. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your your majestic nature that is resting in this place. The God that creative miracles are taking place that we didn't even know we needed in our bodies. That you're transforming our hearts. like we sang this morning, God. Rest on us. Rest on us, God. So the premise of what I wanted to share on this morning is with so many times that we 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 go about life thinking that so much in God seems so happenstance. It's not necessarily orchestrated in some type of fashion. We feel like we're always kind of just riding a, a roller coaster, but with no tracks. We don't. What? What? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Like, like, you know, I feel out of place. All these different things. It's like we're part of some type of like divine chaos theory in the earth, and we're trying to figure out, you know, what's what 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 is this that we're doing right now? Well, I just I come here on Sunday because I'm supposed to be here. I you know I go to work on Monday because I'm supposed to be there. But he is far more intentional in what he does and where you're at and what you're doing than I think we could ever realize. That nothing with him is just on a whim. It's, it seems like it's on a whim to us because sometimes if we knew the plan ahead of time, we would try to control the plan. Can we be honest? If we knew the plan ahead of time, we would try to control the plan ahead of time. Yeah. We would try to make changes all along the way. We don't like the color of something. You know, whatever it might be. I don't like the road I'm on. We would try to change the destiny. I don't want to go there. 
whatever it might be. And so it seems like it's on a whim. It seems like it's random. But he has this, this way of orchestrating what looks like to us chaos. You, find, you get people that are extremely like organizational and like they like to have all their ducks in a row and all this other stuff. And, you know, and they're like, God is a God of order. And I'm like, God's idea of order is a little different than our idea of order. We want three songs and like a 48-minute message, maybe a, a light prayer. It's nothing too convicting. And uh, we want to go and get to the Olive Garden before 12.02 because the crowd comes. But his plan for us, his plan for us is way more detailed than we can ever realize. And it's actually like healthier for us to not realize it. And at times it's actually, it's detailed, but it's simple. But we kind of, because we overanalyze. Is anyone guilty of overanalyzing? Like I do it a lot. Like, do I want mustard or ketchup? And it feels like a life decision. (laughs) And I'm sitting there before the mustard and ketchup going, Lord, speak to me. Which one do I want? Tell me the condiment for my hot dog. But that's, that's how we get on stuff. And we want, we want to know, we're so concerned about making a mistake that we don't make a decision. We're so concerned thinking that I could mess up everything. Can I tell you something right now? You've been called. Um, that's what I was going to tell you. Uh, if, if, the, if Adam and Eve can come out of the fall of humanity and God can redeem their lives, you need to be far less concerned about making a mistake. If you're following him, just keep following him. Don't get concerned about a blip in your timeline when your timeline's like this and you're concerned about like nothing that's not, a blip in your timeline that's no bigger than, a, than the width of a piece of paper. The way that he has it all set up for you he's he's not apologizing for anything. He's not, he's not looking in the earth and going, oh man, I wish Mickey would have done this differently. He's going, all right, we're just going to we're just going to go down a different path a little bit. Well, I'll get you back there. And in this in this life, we sometimes we, we carry this burden of not realizing that. Who you are in your existence is not a mistake. And it's hard for us to get past that because we, we, we feel like we're just here. Well, my parents, you know. There's children in the room. Uh, I had to scan. <laughs> my, my parents procreated 
And then nine months later, I, here I am. I didn't have a choice in that. But you are here with significance and purpose. Go to John uh, chapter 1, verse 12. That sounds like most people. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't really plan an inconvenience right now. Can you come back later? John chapter one, starting in verse twelve. But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor by the will of flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. See, you being born is God's will. You're not, you were not born because it's in the genetic makeup of humans to reproduce. You weren't born because you're not in here right now. You're not alive because your parents planned you. As loving and as great as your parents may or may not be, you're not here because they ha- they're like, we're going to have a child. But you're also not here because your parents didn't plan you, but they decided to participate in something that creates children. You're here because God desired it. You're alive right now because God looked into the earth and saw that it needed who you are specifically. That who you are is an individualistic reflection of of a characteristic of God and he wanted to put that in the earth. See, all of us are some expression of who God is in the earth, in this room. All of us. Everybody out there is an expression. Some of them are just creative expressions. Some of us in here are creative expressions too. But we're, we're expressions of who God is. So when God looks into the earth and considers you, he puts you in as a divine moment for the earth. You are the earth's kairos moment. And I know it's hard to, when we hear these things, it goes against the flesh because the flesh wants to respond with something real spiritual sounding and go, well, it's not about me. And there's a level of it that's true. But then on the other side of that, he literally came to reconcile you. So last time I checked, it was about me and all of us. Because he saw such value 
He saw such worth in the human, in, in, in Aaron, in Bill, that he had to have you back a part of the family and he had to do whatever was necessary to, to bring everything back together. Without you, without you here, this world wouldn't be the same. And the reality is this, is regardless if you have a close relationship with somebody or not, whether I see you just on Sundays or Fridays. Or I see most of you on Sundays. That's not a jab at all. Um, you guys are out and about in the city on Friday nights. Um, <coughs> come out. Um, <laughs> but even if I don't have a close relationship with you and I only see you occasionally, you're part of a, of a puzzle that's a part of this church. You're a part of a collage that's a part of this church. And when you're, when you're not here, it's felt, it's noticed. The picture isn't complete. There's a blank spot in the canvas. It's kind of awkward. Everything's all like, you know, beautifully colored and or, like, you know, organized in, in the right way. And then there's this blank spot in the ca canvas. So, but, when you, but when you're here, you help complete. Because even if you, even, you go, well, I don't do anything. I, I, don't, I just show up. Who you are. It's not about what you do. It's who you are. And because of who you are, you help complete the picture that makes up Jordan Crossing. And even on an individualistic level, who you are. Adds to one to someone else's life. And you may not sometimes you may not know it. But that's how God created you to be in this in this moment, in this place. And so. In this. You're not here by some type of just random occurrence. It isn't just like, oh, I finally found a church I like, or I finally found a church I don't have to wear a mask when I walk in, or whatever, whatever it is. However you want, however, it's more than just what you think in a carnal fashion. It's more than what I think in a carnal fashion. I'm just here because... I had some stuff happen in my life and then I needed to get the heck out of Dodge and so I ended up here and I got with these crazy people and, you know, and I'm from California and people are trying to figure out if I'm, like, really Californian and, or, am I, you know, I was asked last night, are you, are you, like, Californian Californian or are you normal? And I said, I live in Shreveport. What's that tell you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I live by the beach and now I live near a swamp. <laughs> Nothing like that smell of swamp and gator in the morning. Put some slap your mama on it. Just, 
Ah, that's what it's supposed to smell like right there. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. With some crystal hot sauce on it. Aaron's like, stop it, man. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Put it on a biscuit and throw some gravy on it. And we're good to go. Well. Jeremiah 1.5, we all know this verse. It tells us that God knew us before we were even in our mother's womb. Baby Ezra was planned way before. So let's go to Psalms 139, starting in verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. That word thoughts is, this is your one Hebrew word for this lesson uh, to make it sound really spiritual. But that, that word thoughts is the Hebrew word rea. And what it translates to is thoughts of thoughts of thoughts of thoughts of thoughts of thoughts. Basically, it's an infinite amount of thoughts. And it's the thoughts that led to a thought, that led to a thought, that led to a thought, that led to a thought. It's kind of like in science, where every time they try to split the atom, they realize that they can't. They, th they think they've gotten it down to just one. And then, nope. And so... In the, in the mind of God, every time you think you've gotten to the end of thoughts that he has about you, there's one more that led to that thought. But the psalmist wouldn't say, oh, how precious are your thoughts of me, oh God, if those thoughts were, well, Bob sucks. He smells bad. Look at his goatee. We should trim it. He doesn't hold down the strings right on, on the guitar. You can hear the tinging. You know, like if those were the thoughts, and none of that's true. No, I, well, he, you have a beard. It's magnificent. You're welcome, Bob. Uh, but the psalmist wouldn't say, oh, how precious are your thoughts of me, O oh God, if those were the thoughts of God towards, towards him. Right? But we tend to walk around with, well, God thinks I'm this. How many of you have said that? How many of you have said, because you're in a bad place, God thinks... X, Y, Z about me, but it was subpar. It was almost like, 
God thinks I'm screwing up. God thinks this. God thinks that. Right? But you're still not going to go, how precious are your thoughts of me, O God? (laughs) If that's even true. But his thoughts are so many, they can't be numbered. They They outnumber the grains of sand. Have you ever tried to clean sand out of your car? You have to light the car on fire. (laughs) And just get a new one. That's the only way to get rid of sand in a car. Science. Revelations 12, uh, not 12, 22, 13. The Lord announces that he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. He's He's an infinite loop. So if we take that into consideration also in Psalms 130, and I promise this is going somewhere, in Psalms 139, God himself is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. He's literally infinity. And his thoughts, so he has no beginning and no end. But his thoughts of you also have no beginning and no end. And here we have the psalmist going, they're precious, Not like southern precious, you know, like, I'll bless their heart, which is more like the southern version of going, they can go somewhere. Um, And not to the, no. Uh, We can begin to deduct that God is, his mind towards us is always in this good place. He's, even when you're in a bad place, his mind towards you is in a place of hope. Even when you're in the pit, his mind about you is you out of the pit. When you're when you're when you're in the belly of the whale, as as Jonah described, he goes, I'm in Sheol. Sheol's a fancy way of saying, I'm in hell. Or to break it down even more, I'm in the middle of a country song. I am. <laughs> and, but God is saying, you know what? I see you more in like an R&B, boys to men, love romance song. He's not going to give up. He doesn't see you in that pit. He doesn't see you in that place of darkness. He'll bring you out of it, but his mind about you isn't in that place. His mind isn't bending, going, oh man, Susan's really messing up now. And yet we, we have this mentality at times when things aren't, when we feel like we're in a bad place and like then we get into a car wreck and we go, oh, God was just teaching me something. <laughs> I got into a car wreck and it was God delivering me out of my car. <laughs> like not me projecting out of my car. He got me into a better car with a better deal. Even now I'm in a situation I wish I could I can't share the full details of it yet, but when I get to when I get to I it will be one of the 
craziest. One, you're going to probably call me an idiot. Two, you're going to be really amazed by what God did <laughs> to get me out of the situation. And it's going to be awesome. <laughs> At least that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> so, in Genesis 1.31, God looks at all he created. Like, he really takes it in. And he says these words. It is very good. But he cannot say that. Like, you got to remember, Jeremiah 1.5, you were in him. And I know that I'm frag- fragmenting that, that verse. But the principle of the matter is, is if Jeremiah was in him, in him before he was in his mother's womb, I think we were too. So we were chilling with the Lord in heaven as little spirit beings running around. And he's looking, and his thought, it's somehow in his like mind, because it's multi-tracked and multi-layered, it's multi-dimensional, and his mind is on Judy and Pat and Ezra and David and Susan and Bill, and all these, and all these, but at the same time, and every thought that he has about each of us is good. And so he's incapable of actually looking at everything that has been created within him and by him and saying it is very good without actually talking about you. Now. He can't, he knew now. He knew then and he knew now. But he cannot say it is very good without taking into consideration Dylan right here, right now, today. He can't make that declaration about what he created because it's in him. It's on his mind. He's already there. He couldn't say it is very good and be thinking about the time that I just was being a bonehead. Because Isaiah 43, 25 says, I blot out your transgressions for my benefit. The Lord's saying that. The Lord is saying that before Jesus on the cross. I blot out your transgressions for my benefit. That's like, someone just need to let go of whatever happened yesterday. Or whatever happened on the way to church. I don't care if they cut you off in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. Just forget it. None of this is happenstance. None of this, of you even being in this room, is by some random occurrence. Being here today, it's not a random occurrence. God didn't twist your arm to get here. But he probably opened the doorway for you to be here right now, today. None of it was just something random. But there's a purpose and there's an intention. And this happens on such a micro... We, we tend to think God in macro and big situations and big, big ordeals and we, we look for the big stuff, but God is in the micro things. I th- 
I would put it this way. God is more in the journey than he is in the destination. We're always looking to get somewhere, but we don't realize that God's here walking with us. Even if we're walking around the mountain the 15th time, he's, he's with us. I mean, he would like to go to the top of the mountain at some point, but he is with us. And he does things on a micro scale, on a micro way of doing things, down to a cellular level. That I think more than sometimes we can fathom. This past August, not this past August, I realized what month we're in October. Tomorrow's November. So August of last year, I was down with our friends in Corpus Christi. I was with Brad and some other guys. and I was like, I think we were like 15 services in at that point. I don't know. It felt like I was there for four years. But then again, 2020 felt like the, you know, the longest 20 years of my life. Um, but so we, X number of services, long weekend, long, you know, longer, turned into like, and then like on a Saturday, and then like on the Sunday, we had like, I think five services combined. I was, you know, like, let's stop this. There's not enough caffeine in the world to help this. Uh, and I was just in a foul mood, honestly. The last place I wanted to be in was in my 12th service that week. You know, I just put me on, put me in an, just put me under a tree and let me rot type, you know, I was having a Jonah moment, you know, I was, I was ready to be done. Anyone else be there? Anyone there right now? <laughs> I get it, me too. <laughs> but, uh, and so I just kind of closed my eyes mainly out of frustration. I'm just honest. You know, there's, like I said, I was just, mentally I was in a bad spot. I'm just hyper and angry, angry, hyper and angry. Um, and the next thing I see is the Lord in front of me. And he's, he's extending his hand and he says, come with me. In this moment, I, like, my, the, there, was this, there was this battle happening between my flesh and spirit. My flesh didn't want to go where he wanted to take me. Because it was like I, because my spirit knew where we were going. But my flesh was like, ah, oh, heck no. Like, I don't want to go there. And what, what was going on was I knew where he was wanting to take me, and my flesh wasn't wanting to go because it was dealing with the fact it was dealing with the fact of the rejection that I that was in the in the situation. But my spirit didn't want to stay here, like earth-wise, because it didn't want to deal with the rejection that it was dealing with here. Because what was happening is I was battling this thing of rejection, or this thing of the sense of like abandonment, this sense of like, well, I'm alone in all of this. 
and I'm, I'm in this place, and the, and the Lord brings me, like, it's, like, he, he's, think like Peter Pan and Wendy, you know, like, we're all going to Neverland, but it was, like, in the spirit, and the next thing I know is, like, I'm in this dark place, but I knew where I was at. I was inside the womb, like my mother's womb. And I'm sitting there, and I can, like, and I'm with the Lord. And, like, out of the, like, my peripheral vision in this moment, out of, you know, I see out from over here, I see an egg coming down, like, I don't know, understand how to explain all that. Teach me later. But I see an egg come. And then, like, I see, like, a sperm cell come, and I watch the Lord, like, there's many to choose from, and I watch him take one egg specifically, and I watch him take one sperm cell specifically, and he brings them together. And it's like the Lord looks at me, and he says, Wesley, I don't do anything random. I'm full of intention. I chose which cells to bring together to form who you are in your mother's womb. You were in me, and now I formed you in her. And I broke. I was a blabbering Brook, like, you know, like water, snot, everything coming out of me all at the same time, you know. And see, but the backstory of that is my mom had me when she was 18. And in some, some, depending on the day and what was going on in life, some days I was, I was her salvation. And then other days I was a big inconvenience. Guess which one little Wesley grabbed onto the most? And then you take fact, dad was MIA, all that sort of stuff. And it carried on through my adult life, even to the point up, I just assumed that I was just, I was just a random occurrence. I was just a statistic, another baby born. And here the Lord shows me, you know what, Wesley? I don't do anything by random. And the reason why I'm explaining this to, today, this is how much thought he puts into you breathing right now. That's his love towards you. That he puts this, he's put this much thought into you being alive in this very moment. So that you can grab a hold of that you are not without purpose. That you're not here by just random occurrence. But it's not, and it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. What you do comes after the fact, but who you are is an expression of who he is. And without you being here, we miss that part of who he is because you carry it. But no one's, no one's going to carry an expression of God like Miss Pat carries the expression that he put through her. Likewise, 
We've yet to see it, but we're going to. No one's going to carry the expression of who Ezra is like he is and like he will, but we've yet to see it. There's, so there's an expression of God on the inside of you that's longing to come out. And I, wanted, I just want to say this to you. It is safe for you to be you now. It is safe to be who he created you to be. That there is no need to, that's right, buddy. There is no need to hide at all any longer, anymore. That you can be who it is that you were always created to be. And who you were always created to be loved. For one reason and one reason alone. You are lovable. And it's not that you're just loved, but you are loved. Because he is loving, you were created in his likeness. So that makes you love. That's who he made you to be. See, all these things have tried to take us away from who we are. Whether it's been the pain of life, it's been broken relationships, it's been failed moments, whether it was a failed marriage or a failed business adventure, whatever it was, it was, there was an event that took place that tried to take you away from who you were always created to be, and God has always been reconciling you back to that person, reconciling you back. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter what it's been. It, you can't come up with something too big for him to ultimately reconcile you back into your original God-given identity of who he created you to be, which is to be loved. Because we know love first. You, we can't even express a form of worship without actually him loving us first. You get that? We can't respond to him, you know, with high hands lifted up high. Like, we can't do that without him first showing us love, without him first showing us the love that he has for us. And you're not going to find a greater expression of love than Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice so that we can come back to the family. Nothing is going to be a greater expression of that thing. At all. So think about for everything that you've had to endure, really it's that's been the fight to try to keep you away from where you're supposed to really be. But he's just bringing you back. And I can tell you this right now, that there is a love that outweighs the heaviness of pain. And this love put all the pain and anguish upon itself, carried all the burdens for you so that you don't have to carry it. And it put it to rest. He's not going to love you any more than what he does right now. It does, his love for you doesn't fluctuate depending upon your ability of loving him. 
His love for you does not fluctuate depending upon your obedience. Hate to break the news to you. His love towards you doesn't change, doesn't waver, hasn't wavered, won't change, and has no plan on changing. He loves you simply because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because that's who he is. You can't take that attribute away from him and him still be God. He literally said, I am love. So if you take out love from the, from the equation of, or the formula, of the recipe of who God is, he's not God at that point. And so he loves you simply because he loves you. And as we begin to understand in the heart and mind of how loved, how we are loved, we will respond in that way. I, used, I spent 14 years of my life thinking that God was trying to teach me how to love people. I was working on writing a book about it. Going to call it the love equation. It sounded great. And a couple years ago, as I was sitting in the ministry school I was running, and I was working on, I was, for lack of better terms, fleshing out the book by talking about the various subject matters. Because I had the outline of the book, but I wanted, so I would teach it. I would teach it in my class. We had a whole week dedicated to called the love equation. And as I'm sitting there one day and I'm teaching everybody and they're going, and everyone, you know, and people are being affected by the message and the stories and weeping and, you know, and I hear the Lord go, you're not writing this book. Why? You don't understand the message. And in my head, have you ever had someone tell you like you've been doing something for like 15 years and they go, you don't know what you're doing? They try to teach you. Like you almost like in some cases, like you're almost like considered an expert in the whatever field. Not to say that I was an expert in the love of God. I was, you know, far from. I was just telling someone last night, I was like, I've been doing this for 19 years and I still barely know the guy. And then I go, what do you mean I don't know? I've been doing this for 14 years. Don't you know? And he goes, you spent 14 years thinking that I was trying to teach you how to love people, and I was trying to show you how loved you are. And if that doesn't say anything about the psychology of how we tend to think, I know that's probably an evil word in a charismatic church, but get over it. We tend, we would rather go, it's easier for me to see God's love in Susan than see God's love in myself. But can I tell you, there is not a thing about you that he doesn't love. In the words of John Legend, 
He loves all the curves and all the edges. He'll take all of you. He's not, he's not sitting there going, you know what, Dave, I love everything about you, but your hippie hair. No. <laughs> he does Bill, your lack up. <laughs> and your small truck, Bill. I, I love that too. He takes it all in. He doesn't matter. You know, Wes and your horrible sense of humor, I love, you. I love all of it. And he brings it all in. He takes, he takes the flesh and the spirit, the wheat and the tear at the same time. And he lets it, he loves it and it begins to sort itself out. And as, as you begin to realize of how loved you really are and you begin to see the nature of who you really are, it's not that he pulls the tear from you. You start seeing yourself for who he really created you to be. And you begin walking away from the tears in your life. You begin walking away from the things that you realize that that is not who you really are. You begin walking away from the anxieties. You begin walking away from the things that create fear. You begin walking away from the things that create insecurity in your life and or inadequacy. You begin walking away from all these things that you're not. You begin walking, you begin realize that, wait a minute, those things actually have no part of me. I'm light and so I don't have any, like darkness can't even exist. So I don't need to know this anymore because I trust him. He loves 100% of you. 100% of you. There is absolutely, we're not taking God by surprise. If I had a, I mean, the number of conversations I've had in my life where someone sits down across from me, because every time someone has a bad time or a bad day or a bad experience, I go, let's get pie. And I'll go get pie with somebody because I feel like if you give people pie, they'll open up. Just a secret. And when uh, we go and get pie and we sit down, I go, what's going on in your life? Well, I don't know if God will ever look at me the same. I don't know. I, I'm, I've, I've, I've really messed up this time. And I go... Well, I don't, and they go, I don't know if I want to tell you even because I'm afraid of you, what you're going to think about me. And I go, I can tell you right now that God rushed into the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve to put it back, to, to put things back together, to, 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 to save them. So whatever you're dealing with, unless it's bigger than the fall of mankind, he's, he'll be okay. As far as I'm concerned, my mind's made up about you. I don't care about everything else. I just want to figure out how we can get through this. His mind about you doesn't change. And And it hasn't changed.
I just want to say that this, this morning, today's a good morning to get rid of some stuff that you've been carrying that you feel like maybe is, well, because this happened. And so God's holding this over me. What I can tell you is he's not. I'm not making a prophetic decree. I'm not, you know, your sins are forgiven. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm literally, like, through Scripture, you can see that he's not holding it against you. He says it before the cross and after the cross. The problem is, is we hold on to it. We allow it to weigh down ourselves. But if, if we can embrace the power of his forgiveness and let go whatever it is that we're holding on to there's a freedom there's a freedom here for each individual here to just let go of anything and everything that's been held over you and it's a time for you to start brand new you go how can I start brand new I'm 74 or 47 or 38. How can I start brand new? If his mercies can be new every morning, then I don't see a reason why not Wesley can't be new every morning too. This morning, take a moment and just allow him to just lift any and every burden. His yoke is light. His burden is easy. If what, if what you're facing has got you exhausted and wiped out and you feel like you've been running and constantly running, that's not his burden. That's not his yoke. His burden is light. Father, I ask, would you cut the strings or the chains or whatever they are of any and every single burden that is not of you? That you would cut the attachments to any baggage, luggage, or any of that stuff that we've been carrying towards ourselves and let it just fall off. Let it just fall off. And I ask God, Let your love, your real, genuine love, fill this room. Fill us. May we have a fresh baptism of love, a renewed submersion in your love. 
that the scales would fall from our eyes, that the coverings would fall from our ears, that it would that the power of your love would come and heal the wounds in our backs. That it would come like, like, like a force field over the mind. And protect from those thoughts. Let there be a new sense of freedom this morning, God, as people walk out of here. May they carry such a spirit of your love that when they walk out of here and wherever they go, others would be set free. That others would be set free. Thank you. never done this. If you need a hug, just come here. Uh, this isn't my normal cup of tea, but if you... I promise I don't smell bad, but... If you, do, if you just need a hug... sometimes you just need to know your love. But you guys are all so dismissed. <laughs>